0: you've got your scriptures, go ahead and turn over to Acts chapter eight, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter eight. And about a week or so ago, uh, probably shouldn't even admit this, but you know we have our themes and the text and everything, and so you're working on your sermon. And I try to be several weeks ahead, but it was one of those weeks where last Sunday night I was laying in bed, and honestly, I'm thinking I got nothing. I mean, I'm saying, Lord, I really am not sure where I should go with this. It's on baptism. I don't want to just go through the motions because this really is an important message. And uh, God just laid this one word on my mind. And uh, the word is the word underestimate. Now, I want you to think about that word, underestimate. To underestimate is estimating something to be smaller or less important than it actually is. And we see examples of this all the time, all over the place. For example, politics. Uh, there's always stories that come out politically where somebody totally underestimated somebody else. Probably the most famous one happened in 1948. Maybe some of you remember seeing these pictures at school. The Chicago Daily Tribune tried to get ahead of all the other news outlets, and the headline was on November 3rd, Dewey Defeats Truman. The problem was Truman won the election, and so Truman's holding that paper out. And it was just a reminder of none, never underestimate individuals. Weather. I love, this, uh, I love this verse in Isaiah 4, verse 6. It says, speaking of the Lord, I will be a shelter for you in the daytime heat, and a hiding place from the storms and the rain. How many of you have friends or relatives in Florida? Anybody here? Okay. So if you've been in contact with your friends, you know what they have been through these last few months. They would universally say, you can never predict weather. Not really. And you can't really predict the damage of weather. If you're like me, you may remember uh, December 26, 2004, watching the news when it broke about the tsunami uh, in Indonesia. 230,000 people died from that tsunami. 1.7 million people displaced. I mean, can you imagine if today you went home and you didn't have a home and you were completely on your own? Imagine how the world changed because of the weather. And this is an example of never underestimate the church. Never underestimate the power of God in the church. In China, 1949, there was a revolution. Communism came in. And one of the first moves was to eliminate Christianity. So here's here's the strategy. First of all, get rid of all of the evangelical missionaries. So they booted them out of Canada. And they started burning down all the churches. And they thought that would put an end to Christianity in China. At that time, there was about a million believers in China. Do you want to know how many believers are in China today? Somewhere between 120 and 130 million. How did that happen? Well, they drove the church out as far as the buildings, but they didn't drive Christians out. Christians started meeting in homes all over China. Thousands of house churches began to the point now, like I said, over 130 million Christians never underestimate the power of Jesus Christ through the church. Never underestimate what God can do here on the west side or on the east side, or in Bedford, or any church that is alive to Christ, don't underestimate what that church can do. I hope you want to be a part of a church that everyone underestimates what they do. But through Jesus Christ, we can do so much. Zach Dean said this, uh, Zero Dean, excuse me, he is a blogger. He said, never underestimate the power of a single act of kindness, your act may be just the lift that someone needs to go from failing to flying. God can use you any day of the week, at any time, to lift somebody's spirits. Never underestimate just being kind to another human being and what that means. A few weeks ago, I uh, I made an early morning Kroger run to get milk, and uh, so I wasn't in a good mood anyway. And uh, then I, it was one of those where you go to the back, you get the milk, get all the way to the front. I'm like, oh stink! I needed one percent. This is two percent. Like that really matters. And so I'm, I'm kind of grumbling and griping, and I'm, I'm getting through this. And uh, the guy right there, as I was going through, was just the, the happiest guy. He goes, oh, make this the best day. And I'm like, all right, you know. And then I, and then when I walked out, I'm like, I should be like that. I mean. I mean, that one word, that little nugget of kindness, man, that made my day. Think what you can do if you'll take seriously the life that God has given you. Never underestimate what God can do through you. That's why I love this scripture we're going to get into in Acts 8. And we're going to look at verses 26 through 40. And we're going to deal with four things we should never underestimate in our pursuit of God. Never underestimate this. Now, there's three primary characters. So, you need to know who they are first, and then we'll unpack this. The characters are Philip. The second character is an Ethiopian eunuch. And the third, is a desert. Actually, not an individual, it is the region. And the region is a desert, it's void of life. And you're going to see why that's important. Who is Philip? Well, Philip was a disciple of Jesus, he followed Christ. Uh, He he lived daily with Christ in his public ministry. He was there when Jesus was crucified. He went through the resurrection experience with Christ. He became an apostle who went out from that point forward and truly made a huge difference. But the other thing about Philip that we know is all the scriptures, especially before the resurrection, point to the fact that he was a very cautious person. He was the guy, if you remember, the feeding of the 5,000 that came to Jesus And Jesus said, "Uh, so what do you think, Philip? He's like, I think we got an issue. I mean, there's 5,000 people. How are we going to feed these people? He's like, well, what do you think? He's like, I don't think we got a shot. I mean, there is no way we can feed all these people. Why? Because he calculated there was no way to do that. Jesus is always teaching Philip, don't always be so cautious, because faith has nothing to do with caution. The Ethiopian eunuch, very interesting individual, Most believe that he was Gentile, trying to learn about Jewish traditions, trying to find his way to God. He was in a court with a queen. He was in charge of a lot of money, and he was traveling from Jerusalem for a holy festival, and he was on his way back, and he traveled probably at least 1,200 miles for this spiritual experience. So it's obvious he's trying to find God. And then there's this desert region that this entire story takes place, void of inhabitation, void of life. Now, here's why that is so important if you're taking notes. Never underestimate the spiritual opportunities created by prayer. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Look at verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, I want to stop there. An angel of the Lord, a messenger of the Lord, God's spirit said, I want you to go on this road. Now, this road is a desert road. There's nothing there. In other words, leave what is comfortable and go into a desert region where there's no life. So he started out, and on the way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was on his way home. He was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. I love that. He has the faith, Philip does, to travel on this deserted road. So let me ask you something this morning. Some of you may feel like you're out in the desert right now. Here's what I mean by that. Maybe some of you are students right now and you're sitting in a class that honestly, you're asking yourself, what am I ever going to do with this class for my future? How many of you have ever asked that in a college class? Am I the only one? That was most of my classes. Okay. Or some of you are sitting in school right now and you're wondering, I don't even know if this is the degree that I should be seeking. I don't even know if this is the direction and you feel like you're in a desert. For some of you, it's at work. Honestly, you're at a job you can't stand. And you just feel like, man, this is a dead end. There, this is a job with no purpose and just void of life. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's a relationship that is so strained that you are living in silence and you are living in a desert right now. I read this quote by Mark Batterson, and I'm going to read it twice because it's one of those that hit me between the eyes, and maybe it'll hit you. What if the circumstances you're asking God to change are the very circumstances God is using to change you? What if the circumstances you're asking God to change are the very circumstances God is using to change you? I don't know about you, but when I look back over my life and I think about the greatest lessons in life that I've learned, I wish it was during the good times. But it's usually during the desert times. It's those times I'm saying, God, why am I here? Why am I going through this? God, this doesn't make any sense. And maybe some of you are asking those questions right now. I love what Vicki Carmichael has said as she's been overseeing our uh, prayer ministry at Sherwood Oaks and the One Life. She said, prayer isn't just one more thing that we can do. It's the very best thing we can do. It always begins with prayer and when we have this continual relationship where we're just praying and leaning into God and listening to his spirit i guarantee you he's going to take you places you've never been i thought about this after last service that i never got this one pulled off but it was one of my might still on my bucket list for a group uh, activity but i i had planned this huge group activity years ago with the youth group and it was uh, the three guarantees were on this trip, it was going to be a week, on this trip, you're going to go places you've never gone, do things you've never done, and meet people you've never met, and nobody signed up. I could not, you know, and you know why? Because they took it home to the parents, and you think the parents did. Uh, where are they going? Well, I, he doesn't know. Who are you going to meet? We don't know. You're not, you're not going. And I, I remember meeting with the parents. I'm like, isn't that exciting? And they're like, no, it's not, you know. But I still think about if you approach life that way, just think if you approach life like, God, I am turning this over to you because I want to go places I've never gone. I want to meet people I've never met. I want to do things I've never done. And you know what his spirit will do? He'll do just that. I guarantee it. And you never know how God's spirit is going to show up. Last week, you may remember, I talked about a young man that I've invested. His name was JT, and uh, he's in the ministry now, and we uh, connected again last week, and so I shot him a text after last Sunday. I'm like, "Hey, dude, I, I threw you down in the sermon. I, I mentioned you in my sermon," and then he called me. He goes, "I gotta finish. I gotta finish what happened to me after this wedding." He did a wedding in Columbus, Ohio, or Columbus, Indiana, and he said, "On the way home to Missouri, he said my car broke down. I got a flat tire." And I said, "Man, that's that's a bummer on a Saturday night." He goes, "No, it gets worse. Didn't have a spare." And I called my dad, and my dad said, you don't have a spare. You know know how dads are. And he goes, you're going to have to call a tow truck. And I'm telling you, do you have AAA? No, he didn't have AAA. Okay, that's going to be an expensive phone call. And sure enough, $270 later, guy shows up three hours later. He's standing on the highway. And this guy is in a terrible mood. He said he knew he's in a terrible mood because he threw down the F-bomb a half a dozen times before he even got to the tire. And then he gets to the tire, and he is mad at him. He goes, you don't even have a spare? I mean, and that just, and he goes, I've been working 80, 90 hours. I got home. They call me back out, and I'm on the highway with you. Oh, you know, and so he's just, and I mean, he's just head and toes. to just lathered up in grease because he's been out all day and mad because he's worked 80 or 90 hours. And then JT said, I didn't know what else to do but pray. Lord, what does this guy need? He's got his name tag. His name is Jeff. So it's like, Lord, Jeff needs something. What does he need? And he kept praying. And then the guy fixed his tire and hands him, you know, here's the bill. And JT said, Jeff, nobody should have to work 80 or 90 hours. I understand why you're mad. I, I'm so sorry that you had to do this, and, and that was my fault that you had to come all the way out here. Uh, and I, I'm going to pray that you have balance. And the guy goes, what did you just say? He goes, and he's thinking, does he, does he have a weapon? You know, he goes, um, he said, what did you just say? And he goes, I, I'm going to pray for you. And he goes, what are you? And he goes, oh, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a minister. He goes, well, you look like a football coach. He goes, no, no, actually, I'm a minister. And he said, Jeff, I'm going to pray for you right now. So they're on the highway, he said, my hand's on greasy Jeff. You know, he said, he's, uh, Lord, I just pray that Jeff will find balance in his life. And I'm so sorry he's had to go through this tonight and just be with him. That was it. And he got in his car and all of a sudden he hears a knock on his window. Roses window down. And Jeff goes, I like you. <laughs> and he goes, Well, thanks, Jeff. And he goes, I'm gonna renew my vows with my wife. We live in Owensboro, Kentucky. Would you do that? Would you come and do this for me and my wife? He goes, Jeff, I'm gonna do that for you. And Jeff goes, and I'm going to pay you $270 to do that. (laughs) Now, that's not the best way to get money, but that's how God's spirit works. He works like that all the time. You start praying, and don't be surprised how God will just, just meet your prayers and say, okay, I think you're thinking it's going to go this way. No, I'm going to take it a different way. But at the end of the day, you're going to realize I'm in control. Never underestimate God's spirit and how God's spirit and prayer work together. Never underestimate the influence of the Bible. Let's pick it back up in verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to go up and sit with him in the chariot. This is the passage of Scripture. That the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not even open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from earth. That comes from Isaiah 53. That entire section of scripture is about the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. Now imagine the scene. He's out in a desert. He may have even been grumbling. Lord, why am I in the middle of a desert? And he sees this guy. Oh, that must be why I'm here. And he hears this eunuch reading. What is he reading? He's actually sitting in this chariot. And he's reading out of the book of Isaiah. Can you imagine how Philip's heartbeat was pounding? He's like, thank you. I can talk about that. And as he's reading, can you imagine the moment when he said... Can you tell me what this is about? Now, think about that. I mean, here's what I know about God's word. We know in Psalms 42.1, it's like a deer. We should pant for it like a deer pants for water. And Proverbs 8.19 says God's word is priceless. And this is when we realize how priceless it is. And do you notice what Philip did? Philip did not talk about himself. He could have, he could have said, yeah, before I tell you what this means, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Philip. I am one of the 12. Well, actually, 11. One of them, not so good, you know. But I'm one. And here, if you know my story, I didn't even ask to follow Jesus. He asked me. So I'm going to tell you about who this is. But you need to know I'm pretty important. You need to know. No, he doesn't do that at all. He starts immediately with, I'm going to tell you who this is. I walked with this prophet. This is Jesus Christ. This is who can change your life. This is who can change the world. He's the suffering servant, and that comes straight out of the living word of God. Never underestimate the power of God's word. You're going to get tired of hearing uh, this word that I'm going to share with you because in 2018, it's something I really want to get rolling here, and it's the word soap. I know that's a strange word. Uh, There's a pastor in Hawaii. His name is... uh, uh, Cordero, Wayne Cordero. It's the largest church in Hawaii. And one of the things they do every year is they challenge their entire congregation, thousands of people, to remember the word soap and to challenge them to get deeply into the word of God. How many of you have ever read through, don't raise your hand, the entire word of God? Or how many of you have ever started the year, and I'm going to read through the Bible this year, and then we don't do it. Or you're not in the word on a regular basis. So 2018 is going to be the year of getting in to the word. Now, here's what SOAP means. Scripture, observation, application, and prayer. So you just take out a paper. Matter of fact, we even have journals for this. Scripture. And you write out what scripture you read that day. Observation. What did you learn from it? If you're like me, your Bible is ridiculous with highlighters. Highlight constantly how God is working. And then application. I love this quote. We are are note-taking rich and application poor. We need to step back sometimes and say, Lord, I'm learning about your word now. I want to put it in motion and then keep praying. I love this comment, is that the best time for devotions is when you are at your best. Start thinking now, how can you get back into God's word? Here's what I know. Almost everybody you read said, get up every morning and do your devotion. But here's what I found. If I took 100 people, what percentage of that loved the mornings out of 100? Three. I mean, most people don't like the morning. But find out what is best for you. And then once you lean into that, the next thing you do is say, I've got to come up with some way consistently to get into God's word. And then last of all today, never underestimate the impact of baptism. I love the section, verse 34 through 40, because here's what happens. This eunuch is hearing all this about Jesus, and they keep talking about Jesus. And somewhere on that long desert road, they see a body of water. I wish I could have been there. Man, I wish I had video of that. And they're like, hey, hey, there's water. And it hit both of them, like, if there's water... Man, let's, let's do this thing. And you got to know they both knew after this moment, we'll probably never see each other again. Baptism is an amazing thing. The other day, it was a few days ago, my wife and I are doing something I'm sure a lot of you are doing uh, this fall season, and that is we're cleaning out our garage, and uh, it's not a spiritual thing. And our, our whole goal is to get a vehicle in the garage. That's it. It's not a big goal, but that's the goal. You know, we have kids; they're older. We're supposed to be empty nesters. That's a joke, and so all of their stuff comes back to us, and so uh, it's just almost embarrassing. So anyway, we're getting—you know—we got a storage unit. We're getting all this stuff completely out of the garage and going through all these crates and deciding on—you know—do we really need all these things, mementos from the kids? And so we're—you know—we're starting to pitch some stuff. And as I was going through it, one of the things I used to do every year is I I would try to journal. And I looked, and I saw the year, and I'm like, oh, that's weird. I haven't seen that in years. And I picked up this old journal, and started flipping through it. And then I came across this page, May 26, 1995. And it's a picture of me holding my newborn, uh, Danielle, when she was born. Uh, Marie was in labor for over 28 hours, and uh, they took a Polaroid picture of me, because I'm sure Marie's like, if you take a picture of me, people will die. I mean, I have no doubt that's what's going on here. But have you ever heard the phrase, a picture is what, worth? That? Now, I tell you right now, there's more than a 1,000 words here, a lot more than 1,000 words. And I started thinking about other pictures in my life that are worth so much more than 1,000 words, and they're pictures of baptisms. God has given me just an honor to be a part of so many people's journeys over the year. My home church, uh, I think the first person I ever baptized, I was 17. All the way through my home church to baptistries, to swimming pools. Uh, Tom Ellsworth and I, years ago, we baptized a a gentleman battling cancer that was so weak that we had to take, I remember this, uh, a Smurf baby pool and fill it with water for this poor, frail body. And to see the peace that comes over him. I think of the lakes that I've been at. I think of baptisms with college students in Mexico. In ice cold water. I just think all through the years how God has allowed me to be a part of other people's story. And to see the joy that comes over them. And then if somebody would have told me about three years ago that there would be a church on the west side. And for $120 we'd buy a horse trough. And we would actually see people get baptized in this. And to be honest, and to see them sign their name and put their new birthday, it blows me away every time. There is something that is unbelievable about the experience and the picture of baptism. And I think it's the most profound and beautiful picture that's found in Romans 6. Because it says, when we are baptized, we are united with Jesus Christ in what? His death burial, and resurrection. It's the perfect picture. It is so much more valuable than a thousand words because it allows us to experience Jesus Christ in such a powerful, powerful way. Sometimes people will ask me just the most basic question is, why should I even get baptized? I just don't know why I should do that. And you can talk for a long time, and you can make it really sound churchy, But I usually start with this one thing. It's in Matthew 5.13. It's when Jesus approached John the Baptist. And he was going to be baptized. And do you remember what John's response was? This is my paraphrase. You've got to be kidding. You are the son of God. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus said this. We do this because, here's the paraphrase, it's the right thing to do. If for no other reason, it's the right thing. Thing to do so here's what we want you to know at any time any place we'll go on this journey with you if this morning God has laid this on your heart and you want to get baptized here this morning we'll do it this morning if you call me and say I'd like a private baptism it needs to be somewhere else we'll do that we'll do it at a lake we'll do it in a pool we don't care where you want to do it We don't care when you want to do it. We're here to help you any way to start this journey with Christ, with this thing that we call baptism.